You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today, and what a day it is. We're going to talk through some of the issues affecting the big, broad market economy in segment two with Brian Brigham. He's a professor of ag economics at Kansas State University. Before in segment three, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit on some federal wage policy. I know it sounds boring, but it's very, very important for the world of agriculture. We're going to talk about the changes and the adverse effect wage rates that are coming from Uncle Sam here. They started January 1st. Louis Bridges, risk consultant with Insurance Office of America, will bring us up to speed on those details. And we're going to close the day by looking at some of the advantages that are appearing now in agronomics. Before we get into all of that, however, we're going to turn our focus to a new technology that's coming in the row crop space, folks. Imagine, as you're looking out at your fields over the summer, if you knew, if that soybean field could communicate with you, what's happening to it on the ground? How much would that change your management of your farm? It's a fantastic question. It's a question you're gonna to have to ask yourself because this technology is coming into the world. Joining us first to discuss it is Reza Bloomer. He's the Director of Business Development for a company called Interplant, developing some very interesting technology. Reza, thanks for joining us today. Yes, sir, happy to be here. Let's talk about Interplant. You're helping soybeans first communicate. Reza, tell us, how does that happen? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. Thank you. Um, so Interplant's a seed technology company, and we're developing a GMO trait that helps crops express their needs. So you and farmers know this better than anyone, but plants hold all the knowledge. And essentially, using biotech, we found a really cool way for plants to create easy-to-read signals that can be seen from as far away as satellites, actually, uh, that communicate when and where they're feeling stress. Um, now, that signal can be specific uh, to specific stresses, be that fungal, insect, a nutrient deficiency, and they're early. Um, unique gene pathways are activated in plants within hours of emergence of stress, and you know our trait basically allows us to talk to those plants and, and, and pick up on those signals within hours. It's very, very cool technology, Reza. So you talked about how this plant is going to communicate. And in order to make it do that, you're going to genetically modify it so that it glows effectively when the stress hits. And then how do we see the glowing? Yeah, it's a great question. So plants are already responding, right? They're talking to each other. They're talking to the environment. There's a unique immune system reaction that's activated within hours of emergence, like I said. So we go in, we recode the plant's DNA using traditional GMO technology. I like to explain it like screwing in a light bulb next to those unique genes. The light bulb, in our case, is a fluorescent reporter. So when the genes are activated, the fluorescent reporter turns on, the plant creates a signal, and that signal can be picked up by really any type of equipment. Uh, John Deere led our Series A investment back in November. Uh, so you can imagine a world in which, you know, sprayers are making a pass and able to pick up on those signals and then variable rate apply in real time. But really the most cost-effective and scalable tool um, is going to be satellites. We view that as sort of the first line of defense, the best scouting tool for picking up on these signals. Um, so, you know, across a, say, 10,000-acre field, you can now start to break it up and look on a plant-by-plant -plant level to see what's going on where. 
it is very, very cool stuff. It almost sounds science fiction to be able to talk or, or listen to plants communicating. Reza, but as you mentioned, you finished that Series 8. John Deere is on board. This technology is coming forward. Can you give us a timeline as to when farmers could encounter inner soy or inner plant technology in the market? Yeah, sure. So uh, the company's been hard at work for about four years um, in the R&D stages. This year, for the first time, we'll have soybeans out in the, out in the field. Um, on a fairly small scale, um, we're testing our first product concept, the fungal sensor. Um, and then next year in 2024, we'll actually be out in commercial acres with some of our early adopters. We've got a paid uh, farmer community called Inner Circle, uh, and they'll be testing this technology as well as some of our seed partners will be testing this technology. Probably won't be till 2025 when we launch commercially uh, into real acres. And when that commercial launch comes, uh, Reza, you mentioned you'll have the fungal sensor engaged. What other sensors are, are you working on putting into the plants? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think, you know, I, I like to paint the picture 10 years from now um, when we'll be, you know, across row crops, be it soy, corn, cotton, et cetera. Um, and the, the vision really is to have a full stack of sensor traits where you've got unique fluorescent markers indicating stress for fungal infections, insect pressure, uh, specific nutrients like NPK. So a five-way stack uh, with a unique single telling you, you know, what's going on um, early and specifically. And so we could do a five-way stack using Enterplant technology and still incorporate some of the other genetic modification advantages we've developed over the years? Yeah, that's right. So we're a seed technology company. The business model is to license out our trait technology. Um, we won't get into the business of, of breeding, you know, propagating or distributing seed ourselves. We're working with seed partners. So the goal is to stack our traits alongside, you know, the, the latest and greatest resistance traits and to introduce that into uh, high quality germplasm, right? Elite genetics paired with functional traits paired with our new and innovative data traits. Functional traits versus data traits. Reza, that is a fascinating discussion. Are there any other data traits that you're aware of in development now, or is Interplant kind of cornered that market? Not, not that I'm aware of. I, you know, GMO technology has been game-changing, right? Since the advent of Roundup Ready 25 or so years ago, we've seen herbicide tolerance, uh, insect tolerance iterated over the years. Um, and by now, we've got you know, a full stack of those functional traits uh, but, you know, we're sort of set on creating this new category of traits, uh, which, you know, won't decline necessarily in, in, in efficacy over the years, right? Resistance has become a real problem, but data traits will only gain value over time. Uh, so our goal is to, you know, slowly uh, pivot away from these resistance traits and, and imagine a world where we've got data traits that actually allow us to farm in an entirely different way you know, based on lead, leading indicators versus lagging indicators. Right, based on information truly coming from the field rather than making a guess based on a constellation of information. Reza, this is interplant technology is growing. You mentioned there's going to be some field trials this year and that inner circle program. If we've got listeners who want to follow along with the development of this technology, tell us again, how can they be a part of that inner circle? Yeah, so inner circle is hugely important to us. Uh, it's really important that we involve farmers in the process of designing and offering based on real needs. You know, we know what we know best, which is the science, the regulatory process, the market dynamics, you know, thinking through how to get this trait into 
the right seeds, but we need input directly from farmers uh, as to you know how best to develop the products that'll be useful for making you know agronomic management decisions, as well as the best path to commercialization. Uh, so Inner Circle is a formalized program we've got. You can learn more about it at interplant.com. Uh, we're really bringing farmers uh, to the table uh, to have an input on what the future of seed technology looks like. I think the last thing we want to do is go out into the lab uh, for the next couple of years, come back and say, here are the magic beans, without thinking through what the agronomic value is um, and how it might actually you know, uh, revolutionize the production system. That's the key right there, folks. Pay attention to Interplant. It's a name you'll hear more in the future. We've been talking with Reza Bloomer. Thanks for joining us today. And folks, stick around. We'll have more coming up in just a second. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Each season, farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Heading to NCBA in New Orleans, February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 1230 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the U.S. MEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. 
Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. Yesterday, I had the chance to be in Coralville, Iowa, for the Farm Futures Business Summit. And the conversations happening amongst the farmers were would probably not be shocking to anybody listening here. Questions about input prices, questions about elevated futures prices, and, of course, questions about the broader economy. What are we going to see develop with inflation? What's going to happen with interest rates? All of these things are weighing on producers' minds in this period of volatility. And I had the chance to listen to a fantastic program put on by Dr. Brian Brigham. He's a professor of Ag Economics. He's the director of the Arthur Capper Cooperative Center there at Kansas State University, and he joins us now with an update on the economy. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. I appreciate it, and I appreciate the conversation you started yesterday. Brian, I want to get your thoughts on the big market's perspective here into 2023. The question on, it seems, everybody's mind is recession. Is one going to happen or not? Brian, where do you fall on this? Well, there's a lot of moving parts, um, but one of the things that your listeners uh, can look to to see if a recession is pending is to look at the yield curve. So looking at U.S. Treasuries, uh, typically in a normal environment, we have short-term rates below longer-term rates, but in today's environment, actually shorter-term rates are above long-term rates. And if we look over history, when that occurs, which is called the inverted yield curve, a recession tends to happen fairly soon. So if history is our guide with an inverted yield curve today, it would suggest that a recession is going to come likely here sometime in 2023. Um, so that's where if I was to put a prediction, I would say, you know, a recession is likely this year. The question is, how severe could it be? That is a great point. But before we jump to that, Brian, I'm curious about that indicator, looking at yield curves, watching watching those that treasury data. Why does the short term rate climb above the long term rate when it's indicating a recession? What's the economic factor happening there? Yeah, so the the the, the economic thought behind it is it's a look into what the market is expecting to happen in the future. So in the case of a normal yield curve where short-term rates are below longer-term rates, the market is expecting normal growth, economic growth. When it goes you know, a little too hot, we see the Fed will raise interest rates to cool the economy. So that's a normal, that we would expect interest rates rise in the future. However, today, what we have is the Fed is aggressively increasing interest rates to combat inflation. And what that has caused is a push up in the short end term or the short end of the yield curve or short term rates. And so when that happens, it really has a lot of people wondering like, okay, is a recession coming? The market is kind of building that in. And even the Fed has come out and said that we have to fight inflation, and if the cost is a recession, then that's what we're willing to pay. 
And so if that's the Fed's mindset, if they're willing to cause a recession in order to bring inflation back down, Brian, I've got to imagine then interest rates are going to continue to climb. Is that your expectation? Well, at least here within this year, um, really the market has been kind of set for uh, another percentage increase in the Fed funds rate to go to about 5.5%, somewhere right around there. So, But again, the Fed is very focused on we must combat inflation, and the way to do that is to let interest rates rise. Brian, isn't another argument historically, if you're trying to maintain gains in an inflationary environment to own physical assets like commodities, is that going to pull outside money back into the commodity space? It certainly could. Um, I definitely think, you know, agriculture, whenever there's economic unrest across the broader macro economy, even global economy, agriculture is also viewed as a safe haven. It is a good store of value. So things from commodities to even uh, land uh, become more appealing uh, investments for, you know, not only farmers, but also other investors as well. That is a great point. Brian, I'm curious, you mentioned that economic unrest, not just domestic, but globally, it's changing money flow in the financial markets around the world. What's it, what's it going to take for things to settle back down and for a sense of normalcy to return? Do we need to resolve the Ukraine-Russia conflict? Well, certainly there's a lot of global unrest and, and the, the conflict that is going on uh, in Russia, Ukraine, is, is something that I, nobody really knows when that will uh, conclude. Um, will it be this year? Will it be into the future? It's certainly anybody's uh, guess. Um, when we think about trying to return to some sort of normalcy, I guess the question that I would pose is, well, what is normal? Uh, you know, looking back to when we had the Great Recession, the financial crisis in 2008, it really changed the world. Uh, the f financial economics of the financial outlook, the macro outlook, having zero interest rates, and it's difficult to move off of that, the quantitative easing. There's just a lot of things that have uh, changed, and then you couple on top of it the pandemic with supply chains being disrupted. So, for me, uh, the, the defining what is normal, it's probably not something that we had uh, before 2008. I think for where we're at now, and this is a good thing for agriculture and others within the economy, is that our supply chains are beginning to function better. We're starting to see trade flows begin to occur. Um, that, that will help, especially for us in agriculture, to be able to source those inputs, to be able to have export markets open to us. That's what I would view as being the more, like, let's return back to normal. Um, and then as these conflicts resolve themselves and potentially, you know, interest rates come up or go back down, we can reach that point of what would be a bit more normal environment today. You mentioned quantitative easing, and that's one of those things that went abnormal in 2008 as the Fed aggressively began taking positions in the market. Now they're deleveraging. They're, they're moving out of those positions. Uh, Brian, how is that going to impact money flow or economic activity in 2023? Well, right now, what the Fed is doing as far as uh, they're no longer in a quantitative easing stance, they are 
tightening, so quantitative tightening. And the way they're doing it is the most, um, it is, I would argue, the best way to not create significant disruptions in the marketplace. So with their balance sheet, what they are doing with the securities that they have purchased as they mature, they are beginning to roll off and they are not reinvested back into uh, U.S. Treasuries or mortgage-backed securities. So that's a nice gradual you know, uh, decrease. So that creates the least amount of disruption to the marketplace. So with this, the, 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 you know, we need to hopefully start to see that balance sheet begin to come down. Uh, the market can begin to absorb that and move forward. All right, Brian, that is a good point. And as the market tries to absorb it or, or, or tries to compensate, is the impact going to be most felt on the housing market as they get out of their, their mortgage-backed security play? Yeah, and, that, and that's something that I would uh, point folks to keep an eye on. You know, back in 2008, the Fed came in and was buying mortgage-backed securities. And in fact, at that time, they were really the only one purchasing those because of the housing crisis that occurred. But since that time, that's been a stance the Fed has had of continuing to purchase those mortgage-backed securities. Now, I will say they buy them at a haircut, so they're not paying full market price for those. Um, however, they've become a pretty significant portion of that market. And as you know, a fairly major player in buying those mortgage-backed markets, uh, mortgage-backed securities, what does that mean for the real estate, the home real estate market going forward as we have higher interest rates, as we see home prices beginning to level, the, the home sales are really falling off, have really cooled. Well, now if you have somebody exiting who was purchasing these mortgage-backed securities, could that create additional challenges for the residential real estate market as it begins to move into what appears to be a fairly uh, tough environment. So not saying that it's going to create a, a lot of disruption, or, but it certainly is something that we need to monitor going forward. So much falls into that category of things that are changing but will require future attention. Brian, that seems to be the name of the game here in 2023 with all the volatility we've experienced. You do a lot of work at Kansas State University. Brian, where can folks find the work that you do? They can uh, go to our website for the Capper Center, which is www.accc.ksu.edu. Fantastic, folks. All sorts of research on the work of cooperatives there at the Arthur Capper Cooperative Center. We've been talking with Brian Brigham from Kansas State University. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. And folks, stay with us. We're going to talk wage rates across rural America when AOA returns after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. 
Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's get caught up with what's going on here in this market trade. Relatively mixed and quiet action being seen throughout grains and livestock, as well as the stock market and energies here today. Weekly export sales looked fairly solid. Cord wheat, soy meal, all above the pre-report trade guesses. Japan, Mexico, South Korea buying corn, lifting weekly sales to two-month highs. Mexico and South Korea bought wheat. China bought soybeans, but most of that was switched from unknown destinations. A soybean number near the high end of pre-report estimates. Overall, fairly solid week on the export front. Daily Wire, we got 220,000 metric tons of beans sold to unknown destinations during the 22-23 marketing year this morning as well. Now, China's entering their Lunar New Year holiday, the holiday officially on Sunday this year, but it's the highlight of the year within China especially after being very limited in their ability to celebrate over the past several years due to the pandemic. So not expecting a whole lot of uh, news out of China here as many folks take time off here during the Lunar New Year holiday. Focus in the ag trade probably going to be shifting over to South American weather as we have China kind of out of the market here this week. Better rain chances expected in Argentina over the weekend. I'll have to wait and see if those verify. It's going to take more than just a couple of days of good rain to get Argentina out of its drought conditions. But uh, if we do end up getting some decent rains, one has to wonder what kind of pressure that could put on the market. Overall, we're down moderately in beans, four to seven lower here. So we work through the trade. Corn is mixed right around unchanged, a couple of cents either way. The wheat market up a little bit here. As we work through our trading session up two to four cents. Now also looking over at cattle futures, quietly mixed ahead of the cattle on feed report out later this afternoon. Hog market showing moderate strength. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi. I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here today for AOA. As I mentioned, just before we went to break, we're going to get a little bit into the weeds, but it's on a very important topic. Over the past year, of course, we have seen inflation impacting all aspects of agriculture, including, not least of which, the labor market. Well, Uncle Sam has caught on that wages are moving up, and because of that, they have raised their adverse effect wage rates. All right, what does that mean? Why do we care? Well, that's what we're going to get to the bottom of right now with Lewis Bridges, who works as the Senior Risk Consultant with the Insurance Office of America. Joining him also is Kathy Brown. She's an agricultural specialist at IOA. And Lewis, I'm going to throw this to you right off the bat. What are adverse effect wage rates and who has to pay them? Why do we care? Hey, Mike, thank you for having us on this morning again. Good morning. The AWER rate or the adverse effect wage rates are the minimum wage that the Department uh, of Labor has determined must be paid to U.S. and, and alien workers by agricultural employers of non-immigration or H-2A visa agricultural workers. So it's the workers that the farm labor contractors are bringing over and working in the field uh, and, and picking the whatever product uh, they're picking uh, for the farm labor contractor or the farmer. So as, as I understand, that was a that was a long mix of, of legal sounding words, Lewis. But if I'm getting to the gist of it, the idea is the federal government says if you're going to bring in workers from outside this country, you, you can't pay them rock bottom wages. You've got to pay them at least this. Am I understanding that correct? That is correct. Yes, sir. Not only uh, do you have to pay them a certain amount uh, of wage, but you also have to house them. You have to transport them. Uh, you know, to and from the, the, the farm. Um, and you also have to take them uh, to where they can get their clothes washed and go, go uh, grocery shopping. Okay. So the idea being we're not going to be bringing in much underpriced foreign labor to compete with American wages. That's, that's sort of what they're trying to do with these, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Lewis, I've got a follow-up question for you. As I mentioned, you're with the Insurance Office of America. Tell me, how do... Uh, adverse effect wage rates. Why is IOA watching this? Sure. Sure. So just let me give you a little bit of background. I've been in the insurance, property and casualty insurance industry for the past 30 years. Um, I've done a lot of ag accounts, uh, but this H-2A program is growing immensely because we can't get enough workers during picking season to go out in the field to, to pick the the product example, Alma, Georgia, uh, blueberry season is uh, April to July, and a good farmer is going to need 150 or 200 people to pick the product. You don't have enough people, residents in Alma, Georgia, to stop what they're doing and go pick that one farm. And I'm talking about one farm for uh, for that one blueberry operation. And they've got a ton of farmers over there doing that. Well, uh, IOA approached me about helping build this program they wanted to do. I knew the insurance part, the property and casualty, the workman's comp, part, workman's comp part, but I didn't understand the Department of Labor or the H-2A. So they introduced me to this lady, Kathy Brown, and she understands the parts that I don't understand. So, Kathy, uh, tell them about you. Absolutely. Kathy, teamwork makes the dream work, that's for sure. So I'm curious, what what is your connection here with AOA and how long have you been working with DOL policies and that sort of thing? Um, I've been with IOA for about three years now, and I've been in the ag industry for about 20, uh, handling many different roles from human resource to risk management, and now on the insurance side, uh, specializing in 
farm labor contractors that bring over H-2A workers. You know, and after 20 years in the industry, Kathy, if I am correct, I believe this is the first jump in the adverse effect wage rates in 20 plus years, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's a pretty substantial jump. Um, recently, the U.S. Department of Labor came out with a new ruling raising the AWER for temporary non-immigrant H-2A visa workers. And um, how much did they raise it? Was it a uniform jump or is it a separate wage for each state? So every state has a different, had a different wage increase. Uh, like Lewis said, he mentioned in Alba, Georgia. Uh, we live in Georgia. The Georgia, for example, saw an increase of wage from $11.99 to $13.67 an hour, which was a 14% increase. Ooh, that is a big jump. And you spread that across 150, 200 workers per farm. Kathy, I've got to imagine this is going to filter through into food prices, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, this will increase food prices across the across the board. Oh, boy. Lewis, is that something you're keeping an eye on? Well, you know, so I've got one one farmer. Uh, he doesn't bring in, but around 75 H-2A labor. Um, that's an increase of a million dollars in additional payroll for him. Now, let's remember the fertilizer price has gone through the roof, right? Gasoline, diesel has gone through the roof. Now we're asking the farmer to absorb this additional, in Georgia, 20% increase on the AWER rate. The farmer can only eat, you know, eat so much of it. I'm concerned that the people who are selling us the groceries are going to go find a less expensive product to go buy in different countries. And that's that's not good for our economy or honestly, our health. No, I, I think that's true. I think we need to have uh, these farms need to have that economic vitality. They need to have the labor there on staff to get the crop off when it's ready so they can capture the most economic value, especially in an era of raising prices. Lewis, with that being the case, I'm wondering, is a jump in the wage rate like this going to help encourage more H-2A applications? You mentioned the program is growing. Do we expect it to grow this next year? I, so you, you've got two problems here. You got the the, the AWER rate that's going up. You know, in Georgia alone, it's twenty percent. It's it's even higher in other states. That's one problem. But one of the more significant problems that Kathy and I are experiencing is getting these people a bond. In order for these farm labor contractors to bring the H two A labor over, they have to be bonded. And last year, let's say he brought over a hundred people, or she brought over a hundred people. The max of the bond was $75,000. Now they have a new ruling along with the new ruling on the AWER rate. The, the limit for the bond doesn't stop at uh, 75,000 for hundred people. It, it goes up. So for example, if he brings 150 to 199 people in, his new bond is going to be $195,000. And then it's going to stare. It's going to stay that way for two more years. So the bond companies are not comfortable with this. They don't understand it. Then you've got a farm labor contractor that are great people, but they don't, um, the financial requirements that have to be met in order to get these bonds is difficult for these, for anybody to get, to be frank with you. Well, and Lewis, can, can we dig in on the bonds a little bit? Because, I, you know, I'm in Iowa. I don't do a lot of work historically with, with immigrant help. So this whole bond concept is kind of new to me. This is $195,000 additional cash they're putting basically in escrow in a bond, right? In addition to the higher rates they're paying their employees. Do I have it right? 
Yeah, you've got it right. They don't actually put, they can, usually when you get a bond, you don't, you don't set $195,000 down. Um, usually you go to the bond company and you present financials to them or you present a credit score. It's what we used to do is a credit score. Well, when you get to these higher limits, then they go, the bond company go, eh, you know, the, the bonding company is responsible if the bond is ever called. Let me back up a little bit. The reason they have the bond is to make sure the farm labor contractor pays those H-2A employees. Gotcha. The reason the Department of Labor does it. So the Department of Labor has seen that they're bringing more people over. So they probably did need to raise the bond limits. But the credit scores you have to have, the financials you have to have to get these bond limits is expensive. It used to be. Uh, what was it? Nine hundred dollars, Kathy, for a seventy-five thousand dollars bond. Yeah, it was nine hundred dollars, seven hundred and fifty. Oh wow! We're, we're working on one right now. He's got good credit. Uh, we've got him taken care of for nineteen hundred dollars for a hundred and forty-five, hundred ninety-five thousand dollars bond limit. Geez, so so more than double what his bond would have been just a year ago. This is a big change. And Kathy, you've been working in this space some time. I'm sure you've worked with a lot of contractors in the labor space. What do they need to keep in mind as these rules are changing? You know, your labor contractors need to, you know, talk to your farmer about their rising costs. Talk to your insurance agent. Make sure their policies and their needs are being met. And the farm labor contractor definitely needs to stay in contact with their H-2A petitioner. That way they're up to date on all the new DOL regulations. And I'm sure there will be more. Lewis, for, for farmers out there listening, if they want to learn more about this issue, do you have a place they can go? Any recommendations for education? Yeah, they can just look up uh, insurance off of, uh, or, or IOA.com, and then they can find Kathy in my uh, contact information. But to, to continue with, um, we'd like to talk more about the bonds if you're interested, Mike, uh, at another time. But the farmer needs to really be communicating with this farm labor contractor to make sure this farm labor contractor is able to get his bond. And the insurance companies are not, not going to allow the farmer to uh, sign off uh, for the farm labor contractor. The farm labor contractor is going to have to stand on his own. So it's, uh, it's, really, it's, it's really interesting. Lewis, do you anticipate more time being required to get the bond? Is it going to take more paperwork? It's not. Yes, but they're going to have to have credit score and they're going to have to have financials. And I told you wrong, Mike. It's IOAUSA.com. I apologize. Not a problem, folks. We have been talking with Lewis Bridges and Kathleen Brown, both from the Insurance Office of America, about changing adverse effect wage rates. It's a big issue. If you work with immigrant labor, be sure you are up to speed on how these changes could impact your operation. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us today. Kathleen, we really appreciate you being a part of this as well. Thanks, Mike. Have a great Thanks weekend. Thanks a lot, Mike. Good and home. folks, stay tuned. We're going to talk Advanced 6, managing nitrogen and sulfur on your operation when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This week, we're speaking with Todd Diesel, the product manager for UAN and Ammonia at CHS for a crop nutrient update. Todd, there have been some major geopolitical events happening that are impacting crop nutrient price and availability for growers here in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about what has been going on and what's the impact been on the markets? Yeah, really, Mike, three things come to mind. Number one, the war in the Ukraine. That's disrupted the supply of crop nutrients clear back as early as February of this year, still continuing today. The number two thing is the European gas, again, due to the war situation, has really spiked this summer. And at one time, 70% of these plants were offline. That made Europe a huge net importer. And my third bullet point would be the U.S. has become a net exporter of nitrogen, which generally does not happen. Todd, how has the 2022 fall application season positioned things looking ahead to spring? Well, overall, reports so far are that we had good phosphate demand, good potash demand this fall, and hydrous ammonia was good in most areas of the country. What we are beginning to feel, though, is that in a lot of cases, the buying habits on urea and UAN nitrogen solution are lagging what they were a year ago at this time, and that's a little concerning. Todd, what should a grower be doing today to make sure they have what they need for spring? 
The big thing that they can do, Mike, we need a plan. And if the grower can decide what they're going to plant and what they're going to need next spring for crop nutrients, that will give us enough time to get it in place. We do have time to fix this supply demand situation, but we need a plan from which to do that. The grower is the key to getting that information flow started. That's Todd Diesel, the product manager for UAN and Ammonia at CHS. Todd, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today. And we are going to be talking sulfur next. When we talk about the environment, of course, a lot of times people like to complain that it's getting worse and worse and worse. But in one important aspect, the environment has improved substantially, and that means farmers have had to make some changes on their operations. I'm talking about the improvements in sulfur coming out of the uh, of the countryside. Joining us now to talk about sulfur and its importance on your operations operation is Mercedes Gearhart. She is the senior agronomist at Advance 6. And Mercedes, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about sulfur a little bit. Why is it important that farmers, particularly on the soybean side, need to be thinking through the sulfur requirements of their crop? Well, sulfur is an essential nutrient, uh, definitely for both for growth and development of the crop. And it is essential for synthesis of proteins, uh, for chlorophyll formation, or for synthesis. And in the case of legume crops, such as soybeans, it is also needed for nodulation, which is what allows for atmospheric nitrogen fixation. All right. And since we've been cleaning up the environment, we're having less sulfur pushed into the atmosphere. Mercedes, I understand that we're not getting enough sulfur coming back down in the form of rain. Is that why we've got to be thinking about this as growers here in the heartland? Yeah, that is very correct. That's one of the big reasons. Uh, I guess another big reason I would mention would be that uh, with improved genetics, uh, we're getting higher yield potentials, and that means uh, a higher demand of oil nutrients, and that would include sulfur. But the, the cleaner air, that's a big one too, because we used to get granules um, and depending on the, on the location, pounds per acre of sulfur in acid rain, and now it's uh, less than five pounds to acre, you know, closer to zero in many cases. Okay, and Mercedes, we're, we're kind of breaking up a little bit there, but I did want to ask, of course, we're talking across the oceans here, thanks to the power of modern technology. And Mercedes, all sulfur isn't created the same, is it? Could you talk about elemental sulfur versus uh, sulfur versus AMS? Certainly. Elemental sulfur uh, in, in ammonia sulfate are definitely two different animals. Uh, in 
from the, from the one point of view, uh, availability, elemental sulfur needs to oxidize before it becomes available. Sulfate is immediately available for plant uptake. And so it's, in the case of sulfur, it's in the sulfate form, like you find it in ammonium sulfate, uh, time or place of application doesn't really matter. It goes to work right away. Whereas in the case of a granular elemental kind of sulfur, uh, it, it, it does need uh, dispersion into the soil in, in the time of uh, it's going to become available, but it's going to depend on, on how long that oxidation will take place. And it could be several seasons before the, the whole granule actually uh, becomes available. Right. It can all stay locked up in the granule for some time. Mercedes, tell us a little bit about Advanced 6. How are you guys grappling with these issues on the sulfur front in soybeans? Well, um, with, with, with Advanced 6, we work closely with the uh, research community to learn more about uh, sulfur. And, you know, with testimonial sulfate, sulfur uh, really has become a fourth, it has earned the title, I would say, of fourth major nutrient because it works hand in hand with nitrogen, which is without any doubt the first number one nutrient. And so while traditionally the focus used to be with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, now we know that sulfur is key. We cannot forget it. And that's why we're doing all, all of these studies. And um, typically when you apply ammonium sulfate, you, as a sulfur source, you would be applying also 15 to 20 pounds of ammonium nitrogen which is, um, even in the case of soybeans, is very important because it takes a few weeks for those nodules to be actively fixing atmospheric nitrogen. So it gives a nice boost, uh, even in the case of soybeans. And folks can learn more about this. Advanced 6 has a website set up specifically for soybeans. Mercedes, I understand it's soybeans.advan6.com. Is that the best place for growers to go to learn more? That is correct. That is a good source, and we will be updating that with news, not only from the research community, but also from uh, work with growers on farm, on farm plots with growers. Folks, check that out and stay tuned. These agronomic issues are vital, particularly in an era of high prices, both for the commodity and for inputs. We've got to make sure we can get the most for it. We've been speaking with Mercedes Gearhart. She's a senior agronomist with Advanced 6. And Mercedes, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. And folks, before we go for the day, we did have a piece of news come out on Thursday that I felt was worth mentioning, and it's a lawsuit. 17 farm construction and mining groups yesterday filed suit in a federal court in Galveston, Texas, to overturn the Biden administration's recent WOTUS ruling, or WOTUS, recent WOTUS rule, rather. Of course, those of you who listen a lot know that WOTUS stands for Waters of the U.S. This is the rule that says which properties can be developed, can be cropped, can be can be anything here in the economy. Biden administration, of course, is seeing a lawsuit right now, a case at the Supreme Court. The Sackett case is pending. That's a suit over the prior WOTUS. And the Biden administration went ahead and released a new WOTUS outline. And they did this despite the fact that the Supreme Court has not yet ruled on the Sackett case. We expect that decision to come down a little bit later this spring. Expectations are March or April. We'll see what the Supreme Court thinks about waters of the U.S. But in the meantime, the Biden administration was pushing their new rule out on uh, just before before the tail end of 2022, they published their final WOTUS rule, and it is more strict. 
than the WOTUS rule that was in place under President Trump. It did remove some of the exemptions that agriculture groups had fought hard for. It made it a little more difficult for construction and mining companies to get their jobs done. So these groups yesterday came together, filed this lawsuit. Now, of course, we've moved into the legal phase, and those are not very quick phases. So it's not likely that this is going to see a decision before we get the Supreme Court ruling. But it is good to see some pressure coming back on some of these rulings ahead of this Supreme Court decision. No doubt we'll get into the details of this. NCBA was one of the major litigants in this uh, lawsuit. We'll check in with them next week. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 1230 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the U.S. MEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.